Thank you for tuning in to Tech United on Tap, brought to you by Tech United New Jersey. You're listening to a special episode from our Propelify 2020 series, and you can find more episodes like this on our website at techunited.co. That's techunited.co. This talk debuted at the fifth annual Propelify Innovation Festival in October 2020, where our mantra is to propel ideas into action. Enjoy it, and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Let's get to it now. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us. Jim as well. Really excited to get into this session. Thank you, Aaron. This is going to be great. Really, really, really happy to be here. Lovely to meet you, Jim. Um, and uh, um, I'm working my way through your book, um, which I'm really enjoying. Um, lots of it resonating with me as, as I go through. Um, so do you want to tell us just a little bit uh, uh, about the book and, and then we'll, we'll dive in? Yeah, so um, I wrote a book called The Innovation Stack. Uh, I was not intending to write a book. I uh, stumbled on this crazy thing that happened to us at Square, um, which was that we survived an attack by Amazon, which never happens to a startup. Startups just yeah. don't beat Amazon. And when they undercut your price at Amazon, you usually die. But in Square's case, we lived. And I couldn't explain why. I mean, I was happy that it happened, but I couldn't, I, I, I needed to come up with some explanation besides it was just luck. Yeah. And so what I did was I went on this uh, year and a half long quest to look for other companies that it, this had happened to. This was just sort of a personal hobby of mine to, to, to answer this question. And I found throughout history companies that had had the same things happen, which are basically startups getting attacked by much larger, much more powerful incumbents uh, and the startups won. And they not only won, but they became the biggest companies in their industries. So the biggest bank in the world, the biggest furniture company in the world. I mean, the biggest frozen fruits company in the world. Like it, it happened again and again and again. And when I saw this pattern, all of a sudden I realized that I was probably delusional um, because when you do historical research, it's very easy to have a, a selection bias. I.e., you, ch- yeah. you only choose examples that support your view of the world. That's right. And since all the people I was studying were long since dead, I couldn't ask any of them. But there was one guy who was still alive. Uh, it was Herb Kelleher, so the founder of Southwest Airlines. And so I called up Herb and I flew down to Dallas and spent an afternoon with Herb. And I basically said, look, I think this sort of miracle that happened at Square also happened at Southwest. And so I showed Herb all my research and he got really excited. And he said, Jim, you can't just keep this to yourself. You need to write a book. I'm glad. I'm glad he gave you that advice. And, and well, it's funny because like Herb was one of my idols. And when he told me basically, you know, that I needed to get out and start writing, like I thought, well, I can't just write a business book because they suck. They're boring. They're, you know, like painful to read. And I didn't want to write one. So I wrote a graphic novel. So my whole book was, uh, it was cartoons. I spent a oh, year on it. That's fascinating. Yep. So I understand thing- this isn't your first book though. No, I've written right. other books, but I mean, right. my other three books were all textbooks. So this was, yeah. you know, this was more of a general interest book. So I wrote a comic book um, and, uh, and I showed it to Herb and he hated it. He, <laughs> he thought he was, he was actually pretty upset. He was like, you know, you're taking this serious subject and you're making it trivial and you're making, like he didn't like the comic at all. And so out of respect for Herb, I rewrote it as a text, but I mean, if you're, you're reading it now and you probably noticed that there's a lot of uh, uh, nudity, uh, destructions of major cities, uh, there's, there's stuff blowing up, there's Nazis, there's murders, there's like it's comic book material just in a business book form. So it's, um, 
it's a surprisingly humorous um, take. Oh on, yes, on, and there's on a viciously have... dirty joke in there. Um, yeah, I wondered that. That was a little bit of an. Is that an Easter egg that nobody discovered, Jim? Uh, no, people have discovered it. Um, I, I, it, you know, and I knew it was pretty bad when I put it in, but I figured my my editor would catch it. Um, but he was sort of checked out for like the last third of the book because he'd taken another job. So he quit Penguin and had already like taken another job. Yeah. Uh, so he didn't really edit me that hard towards the end. And I told him about it. He's like, well, you have to tell me what the joke is. And I said, no, I don't. If you don't get it, then it doesn't really matter, does it? And so we had this little argument and I never told him where it was and he never found it and he went to press. So Beautiful. it's in there, man. Beautiful. And I apologize I for all of you who are offended so i mean for me you know i spent a long time in product and in financial services and in fintech um and uh, you know um my business uh, in the uk we were connecting um, mobile phones to the card network to build a mobile banking platform yep and we, we started that uh, yeah thanks in the mid-2000s and um, you guys started when, 2010? 2010 had the idea in 2009. So we, we really sort of launched in 2009, launched the product in 2010. And you, I mean, I remember um, looking at one of your early websites um, where you guys, I don't know, there were seven of you at that time and you had your Twitter handles yeah. and, and thinking, you guys are in for a long journey as you get into into payments. Yeah. And do do you think part of? I mean, I don't. I, I wouldn't call it naivety, but that kind of. No, you can call it ignorance. Yeah. Is that the word you were trying to uh, <laughs> not use? Blatant well, I, disregard for everything. Complete. Yes, ignorance. Yeah, and those those are qualities that you know. I'm a firm believer. Good ideas come from anywhere, and I think the some of the theme in your book around entrepreneurship and problem solving, I think, is you know really keys into that. I mean, how and and the sort of non-linear aspect. I mean, most people think you know there's a grand plan for this, where quite often you're solving one problem after yeah. another. It it is definitely non-linear. Um, Here's the thing about expertise. It is only possible to be an expert in something that somebody else knows how to do. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. that, that's where expertise comes from. Is like you get a degree, you get a certification, you get a license or a credential because humanity has established that there is this threshold. And if you meet or exceed it, then you get the credential. And so it's possible to be an expert in the things that we know how to do. But at some point, you run up to the edge of humanity's knowledge. You, you, you do something or attempt to do something that nobody on the planet knows how to do. And therefore, by definition, there is no expert. So yeah. all of a sudden, sort of magically, the playing field gets leveled again. And yeah, I mean, I was a glass blower with an economics and computer science degree. Uh, Jackson massage therapist. That's his only professional credential. He never even finished college. Um, so like what the hell were we doing in the payments world? And the answer was, we weren't actually in the payments world that you yeah. inhabited because yeah, you were in a right. world of expertise and you know you were in a world where credentials matter. And, and we were in this world where, yes, it was payment related, but we were dealing with an entire effectively invisible class of merchants that mm. were not in the world. 
And I mean, it was sort of naive, but again, this was sort of that pattern that I discovered um, when I was, you know, looking for the answers to how we survived Amazon. And the answer, Stuart, is that if you are doing something that has been done before, all of the rules we've been taught our lives apply. If you are doing something that has never been done, then a different set of rules apply. And Jack and I unknowingly had crossed over into this world where it had never been done, therefore it had to be using this second set of behaviors, which I talk about in the innovation stack. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing that sort of unites all these you know, companies that I talk about. Because like the, the, the book I wrote, it's not a, it's not a memoir. It's not, it's not even about Square. Like it's, it's an example of a very, very powerful tool that literally everybody can take advantage of because literally all of us have the same level of expertise in things that are new. And that level of expertise is zero. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's a really interesting, almost, you know, epiphany for me as I was going through this because, you know, in the line of business I'm in, I'm looking for, you know, like, product people that have shipped that you know got high customer empathy absolutely absolutely and and then to and then to think through um you know actually what makes great businesses and great entrepreneurs and great innovation is this kind of um resilience around that and and that's you know another thing i've um I found myself thinking about as as I've listened to you, Jim, reading reading your book to me as I walk my dog. <laughs> is is that I'm picturing like me giving you this great wisdom <laughs> as you're sitting there in one of those plastic bags, just with a warm turd in your hand. <laughs> like that's that's the that's the image I have now of of how this is going and 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 He's why. A- why it's making it's such dog. an impact it's it's, it's yeah, he's yeah, a big, big dog, dog. <laughs> i'm sorry two hands right, right? like it's a two-hander okay good <laughs> you get me man we're on the same page okay so it's it's the kind of and then you know as you talk about the kind of you know i guess the trauma like when you realize that amazon are coming from you right that yeah that that must have been a terrifying experience. And then yes. um, thinking about, you know, your options there um, and then timing as well. Timing was a theme that started to emerge to me a- around that, you know, because you had several options. I mean, um, it'd be great if you can share the one you chose because it's, it's, oft- it's often not the one that people think that they should do, right, out of the various options. Yeah, so... Um... We did what anyone would do if their business was attacked by Amazon. Uh, we panicked. Uh, we immediately went looking for a, an example of a company that had beaten Amazon. Yeah. And then we found nobody. Like it was a null set. Yeah. So then we panicked more. Um, but again, panic is one of those things that like, it, it hits a limit. Like there's a point at which you panic and then you can't, like, it can't get any worse. Like, you know, dead's dead. They kill you yeah. 12 times, you're still dead. Like, yeah. so, um, so, you know, at least we pegged the panic button. And then the question is, well, what, do, what are we going to do? And, um, and this is the sort of amazing thing, because we looked at everything that we could do to respond to Amazon, including matching their price. Because, you know, one of the things they did was they undercut our price by 30% 
Um, yeah. And our margins weren't 30%. So if we had matched their price, we would have literally lost money on every single transaction. Yeah. And we were like, well, that's stupid. So we didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't even change our price. We didn't even lower it because our price was as low as it could be and still have a functional company. So, um, so we didn't do anything. So I, th I think there's, there's we didn't of... do anything differently, but well, that's it's... the thing. I mean, you, you were doing, you were doing stuff, right? But we it's... were doing what we were always doing. This is the, the yeah. interesting thing is we didn't, we couldn't figure out something that we were doing that we should change because all mm -hmm. the stuff we were doing for our customers, we were still going to do for our customers. Uh, we had a price that was low as we could afford to make it. So we couldn't lower that. Um, we were trying to respond to other attacks by Amazon. One of the things they did was offer customer service, which at the time we didn't have live to customer service, but like you can't do that instantly. So, so like literally we looked at our options and concluded, well, there's nothing we could do. So right. we just kept going. And yeah. amazingly after a year, Amazon gave up. They just yeah, said, that's an we're out. Story. Yeah. And, um, and they were actually really cool about this. And I should not diss Amazon, especially since I'm trying to sell books right now. Um, but like, you know, it, it reminded me of the old fashioned wars, you know, when there used to be like, if you were an officer from the enemy and you were caught, they didn't torture you. They gave you like yeah. your own valet and a special tent with like clean water and stuff. Like they, there were these, there were these rules for engagement. And, and I felt like when Amazon quit that, so, so, so they were really cool. They, they mailed one of our little square readers to all their uh, soon to be former customers. And they. And that's, that's a, quit. that's a, that shows some class, I think. It's a classy move. Like it's a classy yeah. move. And as much as I sort of rag on Amazon, uh, they were classy in the way they handled themselves. And, and, you know, I think they did the best things for their customers, which was to make them squares customers. And when I when when you when I look at that hardware, uh, it takes me back because I've got the original unencrypted uh, head. Ah, oh, thank you, squared reader. Yeah, um, holding, on, holding on to that freaked a lot of people out. Yeah, it did. And so, t talk us through some of that because I mean, actually, the innovation you were bringing to market and at the time it was fascinating. You know, I was in in the space at that time. In Visa had invested in the company I was at. That's what brought me to the States. So it was close. I could see what was happening. I could hear them talking about you guys. I mean, they, they um, invested in you as well. But yeah. you were basically creating a whole class of acquiring here with an aggregation model. It just didn't exist. It didn't exist. Uh, and how, like, talk me through that. What was, like, was that a plan? Was that... You well, just held your nerve. How, how it, did you make that it, happen? It, 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 it wasn't a grand plan. It wasn't one of right. these things where we sat there and we had this great vision and we knew we would be. No, it was this very simple um, problem, which I personally had. So I'm a glass blower. I make things that nobody needs. I don't know. There's a piece of my work over there, like that bowl. That's nobody needs beautiful. that silly thing. You know, like, <laughs> it's useless. I, I don't even put anything in it. It just sits there sort of looking pretty. Um, and when I sell this stuff, I sell it to people who don't need to buy it. And so if they want to buy it, they, they pretty much, uh, need to be able to buy it easily. And in my case, I lost a sale, uh, to a lady who had a new Amex card and I couldn't accept Amex. And, um, I was pissed and upset and I called Jack and we'd already 
decided that we were going to start a company together. And so I had this idea and I thought, well, the, the company should be this thing that serves me. Like, I'm not going to build a company for the world. I'm going to build something that I know I want. And the interesting thing there is that if you're doing something that's new, that hasn't been done before, um, where's your focus group? How are you going to study that thing? Mm. So, yeah. um, so having yourself as sort of the first customer, and I was the first customer for Square, uh, is a very good way to develop a new thing because you can look at the thing that you're building and say, well, I would use that or I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, with the customers that, that we work with at the moment, it's, uh, it's part of this process where um, as we're trying to bring innovation to market as part of a financial institution, you know, we look across various lenses around sort of, you know, customer desirability and viability and feasibility as a, as a kind of playbook. But there's, there's something about actually truly understanding a problem because you, you experience it, right? And you can, you can unlock it. Living it is different than studying it. Yeah. Uh, and studying it is different than just guessing. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are just guessing. That's true. That's true. I've met a few of these guys. So, yes, um, <laughs> some of them bill by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, um, you should bring some you... of that dog shit to work. You should. <laughs> don't, don't. I um, love this. When and, and when you and when you think back over the over the journey, and and I love the way you um, thought about that that kind of almost like pattern, you know there's something that happened here that I can't really explain. It's the, it's some of this incremental learning and uh, problem solving that, that we did that created this, well, you've named it, right? The, the innovation stack. Yeah. I, I needed a term that could sort of explain the concept, but you know, more importantly, what I needed to do was explain how somebody with my shockingly low level of experience in payments and my partner who had probably even less than I did, were able to do so much in that world. And what I realized is that sometimes it's not about the person, it's about the tool that the person possesses. Hmm. And, you know, I can give you a very, very well-trained mixed martial arts fighter against somebody who has no training and a gun. And my mind's on the guy with a gun, yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, even yeah. if they've never fired a gun before, even if they don't know, you know, kind of what a gun does, you know, but you give them a quick explanation and all of a sudden they're going to win that fight. Right. Um, so it was like Jack and I stumbled onto this thing that I call the innovation stack as others have stumb some stumbled onto it throughout history. And then once we saw the power of it, which was in hindsight and only by it was only by studying, you know, what happened with Amazon that I actually sort of saw what happened. But then I, I realized, oh, wait a second here. Like, this is a general case tool. This is something that anybody could use. And yeah. you don't have to be an expert. And so, um, I mean, this is why, you know, you get a, I think this is why Herb, you know, gave me the homework assignment because, you know, like, he was excited about the potential of getting this tool in the hands of millions of people, as was I. Because, you know, my feeling is that this is a tool set that you need if you encounter something that needs a new solution. So look at the problems we have in the world. 
and ask yourself, how many of those problems are we going to actually have to invent some new solution for? And then recognize that your entire education and most of your life and pretty much all of your DNA is designed to replicate other solutions as opposed to work in this world where innovation rules. And um, it's a scary, uncomfortable, unpleasant world. And I was hoping to make it just a little bit less scary and unpleasant by sort of explaining first my journey through it, but then, you know, not because Square's such a great company, but because it's an example of these other things that throughout history have changed the world for the better. And the timing in, in some of this is, you know, one of the things, again, that I reflected on. I mean, we, you know, as we, I mean, we first shipped a mobile banking app in, I think it was 2006, pre-iPhone, right? So that thing was 49K. Um, and it worked. Like That's it awesome. Ran over, yep. Ran over That's a the, big deal. Yep. It was awesome. Yeah. And we had the whole mantra, one balance, one, you know, one customer, one balance inquiry. Uh, it was running over ATM rails. And um, at a time we, you know, it was... Hey, Jimmy, are you online? All right. I, Still with us, Jim. I got, I, got to, I, I got to kick my son off Fortnite here. No, he's off. Should do it. Damn it. That would have been good for the group. Okay. That would have been awesome. Yeah, sorry. If, if the internet goes out again, I'll have to switch to my mobile. But uh, yeah. I, I, I think we've, we've still got you. I mean, maybe I dropped out. Okay. What's, what's, the, what's the importance of timing? And, you know, we, you know, we used to talk about the, you know, the business, the customer, and the technology, and the kind of alignment ac- ac- across those to create the, the, the so, value. And did you get a sense of that as you thought about yeah, timing's did. this weird thing. And uh, you haven't read it yet, but there's a chapter in my book on timing. Um, but I should also let you know that I chose to release this book that I'd worked on for three years on March 10th, like the day the world <laughs> shut down from COVID. So like consider the source and, and like okay. you know, take okay. as, as, you know, like take it with a grain of salt because I, like, I wrote a chapter on timing and then I chose to, I literally picked the worst day in a century to launch a new book title. But um, that said, I'll still go on. Um, the thing about timing that I found with, with entrepreneurial companies is that the right moment always feels too early. Yes. And that timing is one of those things that at least I was never taught to pay any attention to. Yes. So it's that's funny. really fascinating. Yeah. Because by, by the time it feels right, the world's caught up with us, I guess. Is yeah. Where you're going with us. Yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. The reason it feels right when you're late yeah. is because the herd has caught up to you and yep. you are so as a human, this is not a judgment. This is not, I'm not trying to, I'm the same way. We're all the same, but we are genetically wired to be this way. You feel safe when you are in sync with the others. Mm-hmm. If they're wearing masks, you wear a mask. If they're shouting, you shout. If they're speaking quietly or cowering, you do the same thing. That's your physiology. That's how you're wired. And the reason you feel good when you know the timing's right is because everyone else knows that timing's right too. You get that sense of the herd. Yeah. Um, if you want to be objectively good at timing, you will learn to move 
when it feels too early. Hmm. It's pretty uncomfortable when you're out there. Uh, Very. Talking about this stuff. Yeah. yeah right. It's, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in the, in the, in the book is, is just like how and why you're uncomfortable. And yeah. hey, look, there's, there's the discomfort of doing something new and there's a the discomfort of something that will kill you and you need to mm. sort of know the difference. So I, I, there's, there's a lot going on. And do you think, you know, as so, I mean, we were chatting just before about the, the, the kind of role of luck and, you know, the whole kind of Silicon Valley, I think sometimes misconception of the role that luck can play um, around this. And of course, oh, yeah. it's one of my favorite interview questions, actually. You know, are you a lucky person? Very um, lucky person. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, by definition, I cannot tell you how lucky I am. Um, and there are a couple of phenomena at work there. One is if you're lucky, it doesn't feel like luck if you're hardworking. So I'm also a very hardworking person. I'm a guy who really, you know, I get up early. Yeah. I bust my ass every day. Even if I don't have to, I still do. Like my wife drives her up a wall because like I don't have to work for money anymore and I'm working yeah. harder than I ever have. And she's like, yeah. why are you doing this? Like, why are you working? And I, you know, have these issues because I'm very hardworking. And therefore, when something good happens to me, I say, well, it's because I'm very hardworking. Yeah. Well, what if I'm just lucky? Well, the answer is I can't tell. You know, yeah. there could be a person across town who's equally hardworking, comes to the exact same point and gets unlucky when I get lucky and then I win and she doesn't. And yeah. there you go. Um, Do you think there's, there's a right moment to quit on some of these entrepreneurial journeys? I mean, Yes, but I don't know how to determine it. So okay. the, the, the best I can do for that is make a um, determination of when I can no longer go on. Um, yeah. So uh, what that looks like for me is a moment where I've just run out of energy. I'm just totally wiped out and can't, like I, I just have to quit because... I've mismanaged my energy and I'm now spent. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's the moment when I personally give up. But, but because I know how I get to that moment, I can actually manage the steps before it to extend my runway. So, um, gotcha. I mean, it's a, it's a, I, I go, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're, actually, I've got a whole article on this on my website. If you go to jimmckelvey.com, I will explain in great excruciating, uh, right. personally embarrassing detail how, how I do this. But, uh, but the idea is basically this, um, at least with entrepreneurship, if you're doing something that's never been done before, you don't know, first of all, if the problem's even solvable, okay? Because mm -hmm. it's not been solved by, by humanity. So you don't have this guarantee that you can do it because it might be undoable. But assume it's doable. You still don't know how far that journey is, right? How far do you have to walk before you, know, you get to... Uh, the result you want. And, and the answer is it may be another step. It may be another 10 years. It may be more than your lifetime. Like you just don't know. So because of that, the question of when you quit is ever present in your mind. Mm -hmm. And the way to keep going uh, is super important. And, and so I, I have a bunch of sort of tricks that I use to keep myself going so that I don't get, you know, too, so, so I don't have to quit early. And, and actually, um, uh, 
I guess I can share this because I think James Altucher and I are sort of buddies now, but he was just on and I, and you know, he and I had a conversation about this book yeah. and, and when we were talking about it, James told me that after reading it, he regretted quitting early on one of his earlier companies. He said, yeah. he said, he said, I didn't recognize the process and therefore I stopped early. And I thought about that. I was like, yeah, me too, man. Like I've, I've given up on my own like entrepreneurial ventures earlier than I probably should have because it just seems so painful. And I get such, you know, I was getting such bad yeah. reinforcement from everybody that I just gave up. And, you know, and these days, I mean, I'm still a guy who will give up, but I, I will probably endure longer because, because now I understand the process yeah. and, you know, sort of like if you It's a live, lonely journey though, isn't it? That sort of stuff when you're, it, you know, it helps yeah. I think, if you're putting those sort of resources out because quite often you, you've, yeah, you're doing something that's never been done before. Everybody can tell you it, it can't be done. It's really hard to find the people that will come along on the journey for you at certain parts. And um, yeah, and like I, you know, I know I've been there. Like, have I given this too much of my effort? Uh, should I have quit earlier? There's all yeah. of those kinds of feelings. And you're going to have that, but you're like, don't whine about it because yeah. look, I mean, it is going to be a lonely journey, but that doesn't mean it's all unpleasant. And it is going to be a lonely, scary journey, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. You yeah. know, like, like this is the difference between knowing you're going to go on some sort of wilderness survival expedition by yourself yeah, or, uh, you know, a prepaid all-inclusive resort vacation. No. Like right. both involve travel, but, you know, they're different types of travel. I'm getting the virtual wind it up here. That's okay. The 30 minutes has flown by and I, I suppose we should, you know, tie that, tie this together and put a bow on it. And, and like, as, as you, as you kind of reflect on your journey and, and, and think about the, the theme of today, um, how do you think about what innovators can do to build um, a, a better future for all? Is this, so um, it's, it's one of the main things I talk about in the book, part of the pattern, that I noticed was that the people who built these innovation stacks were building for people who were excluded. So if you look mm -hmm. at what Square was doing, we were building credit card processing for small merchants who didn't have access to credit cards. Um, then we added Cash App, which is basically a bank in your pocket and, and used heavily by the un and underbanked. Now it's an awesome app for, you know, rich folks it too, is awesome. but, yeah. but it, it's, it's, it's life-changing if you don't have a bank account. It is life-changing. Yeah if you don't have a place to save or invest uh, or a way to get paid or a way to get a debit card, or I mean like the cash app is amazing, but it's, it, it, it was built for the disenfranchised. If you look at the biggest furniture store in the world, it was Ikea and they were building furniture for people who could not afford normal new furniture. Um, the biggest bank in the world was built for people who couldn't use banks mm -hmm. and and, and that I think is the central message of what I'm saying and, and entrepreneurship in general, which is like, if you're looking for opportunity, if you're looking to maybe start a company that, you know, might someday worth, be worth billions or tens of billions of dollars or more, you know, or if you're looking to touch the most people, the opportunity is always at the bottom of the market. It's, 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 it's actually not even at the bottom of the market. It's past the bottom of the market. It's look at where the market ends and then look below that and say, who else would be traveling 
if there was an airline that was affordable. And that's what yeah. Southwest and, and Kelleher asked. Um, who else would be in business if we could give them the tools to be in business? And that's what Square asked. Um, you know, who needs a bank? That's what APG and ENI asked. Like these, these are questions that enable masses of people to come to the party and that's good for the world. That, that's awesome. Thanks very much, Jim. It's been a pleasure chatting. So great, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, it, it has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it, Jim and Stuart. Thanks for joining us. Jim, I just I got one final question here, and I know we're, yeah, yeah. we're on time, but this idea about being handed a gun versus the trained you know, ninja warrior, there's this element of inevitability and luck. Like, you did invent the reader. Now, so how much, like, do you think if six months later somebody else is, is the other, I mean, I know there were other competitors, of course, but there is an element of work plus luck plus timing here. And like, in, you know, the gun did, you talked about the guns handed to someone, but the, in your scenario that you invented the gun. So hey, you know, how is that different? Well, what we did was we stumbled upon this thing that I describe as an innovation stack. And it's not just one thing. It's, it was 14 things in the case of Square. And, and that has its own tremendous power. And what I was talking about, the, the, the gun analogy, perhaps a little too controversial to use these days, but the, the answer is, a powerful tool in the hands of a weak person is better than a strong person, yeah. you know? And, in, and, 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 and here's the thing, like we're all very weak people. I mean, if, if you want to assume that you have, you know, these, these mega skills that nobody else has, and that's why you're successful, I, I would beg to differ. I would say that it's more the tools you are able to employ. And what I did was I stumbled upon this tremendously powerful tool and like, I want more people to have that tool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sorry for the gun analogy. That was the first time I've used it, and I'll probably come up with something less offensive and more accurate in it, the future. It paints the right picture. Although I do think the, the dog shit metaphor, you know, or example. That was totally Stewart's, but I love that. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on Tap next.